Hello there. I want to thank you for tuning in and listening to today's message for supporting the ministries of the Lantana Community Church. Now, as you listen in today, you'll notice that uh, the introduction has already happened. It's going to seem like you're coming in late on the message. Uh, we have some significant technical difficulties as we began recording this message, but we were able to get it started at where the scripture is read. So the meat of the message is there, and it's a great teaching on reciprocating the love that God has so freely showered on us. Man, I hope you're blessed, and I hope you have a, a great day, and that you enjoy this teaching. God bless. Jesus. So this is, this is all very, very important, and, and we can tell because John spent so much time on it. So we're six days before the Passover, just a few days before the triumphal entry, and then, of course, the time that Jesus is going to be betrayed by Judas and crucified by the mobs. And while he's in Bethany, he gets invited to dinner. And it's interesting to me because Jesus knew that the Jewish leaders were after him. Jesus knew that the Jewish leaders were trying to, uh, to kill him. They were ready to do it. They were, they were ready to take his life, and he knew that, but... He still took time. He, Bethany, only two miles away about from where these religious leaders were who wanted to kill him. All because he wanted to spend some time with his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Man, Jesus was a good friend. Now, in reading John's account, you might think that they're at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It doesn't say that, though. I, as I've read through this and, uh, and studied, I, I used to think that the, it was actually at their home. But here's what verse 2 says. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. It doesn't say whose house they were in. So, but if you look at Mark chapter 14, and, and we'll read that. I, I'll have it on the screen for you there or on your Bible app. But as we look at uh, Mark chapter 14, it actually tells us where he was, starting with verse 3. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to, to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have. And you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I truly tell you, Whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So, Jesus is in Bethany. We find out he's eating at Simon's house. <laughs> Interesting, Simon. Okay, so he's at Simon's house. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are all there with him, um, and the disciples as well. So, who is Simon the leper? That's the question, right? I was, so you guys can see my mind a little bit. I kind of go down these rabbit trails. Who is Simon the leper? Who, where is he? What, what's he doing here? How did he get invited to this very special dinner? What, who is Simon? So I dug into it a little bit. Some people say that he was Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. You know, they were brothers, sisters. That he was their father. Some people say that. Some people say that, you remember when Jesus healed the ten lepers and one came back and thanked Jesus for healing them? Some people say that he was that 
leper. One thing we know is that he was not Simon the Pharisee. We read in other parts of, of, of Simon the Pharisee. He wasn't Simon the Pharisee. And if you read in Luke chapter 7, it, it gives another story that's very similar to here. Um, the Mary in our text is not the Mary from Luke chapter 7 because well, it's just, it's just different if you read it. The events depicted here in John and in Mark really don't appear to be the same. Now, it could be just different eyewitness accounts, but uh, they, you know, scholars don't believe that they're the same. So two different occasions, two different events. Here's what we do know. Simon the leper would have been someone who was well-known during the, the time in that region. So Simon the leper would have been somebody who was, um, people would have known his identity, though, has been lost to us today. Um, sometimes we find that in the Scripture they write about somebody or they write something, assuming that the readers will know what they're talking about. And probably for the first several hundred years, that was true. But as time moved on and Jerusalem fell and just different things happened, we don't know who Simon the leper is now. We can pick up little clues here or there, but we can't say for certain to who he was. But the reason for that is because the focus isn't on him. The focus is on Jesus. He, he's just providing a setting for it to take place. So in, in our minds, imagine this. Jesus, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, Simon the leper, and the disciples, they're all together, and they're all eating, and it's six days before Passover. That's what we need to know. Man, can you imagine being at this house, though? The stories that they could have been sharing. I mean, Jesus had been doing ministry now for uh, three years, and uh, Lazarus had been raised from the dead, and Simon had been, the leper had been healed, and Matthew, who used to be a tax collector, evil sinner, he's sitting around with them, and uh, Mary and Martha, who had experienced so much with Jesus, they're all there. They, they could have been swapping stories, you know, and I can just imagine in my mind, if you can see them talking around the table, and Simon says, oh man, I used to be a leper. I, I, got, the, I got the most I got, the, I got the biggest story because I used to be the leper. Nobody wanted to be around me. I would walk down the street and they would, I had to holler, unclean, unclean, and people would run from me. Man, it's so awesome. I was healed. I'm not a leper anymore. And then I can imagine Lazarus raised his hand and said, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. I was dead. <laughs> I was like in the tomb, man. My body was stinky. In fact, I had to take a shower. As soon as I came out, they said, hey, uh, Lazarus, we're glad you're back. Go shower. Or bathe probably would have been more appropriate. Just the stories, you know. I, I like to envision and imagine the, the, the life of Jesus. And I, I don't say these types of things very often, but to, I, I like to look at the humanity of Jesus because he was, a, he was a man. He was a person. He would have laughed with them. He would have cried with them. He would have shared their pains and their hurts and their sorrows. There's a, um, I'm going to talk about it now and not remember. There's a, a TV show that uh, Cerise and I have watched, our family has watched, on uh, all the streaming video services they have now, VidAngel. I would encourage everybody to go and get VidAngel. It filters content, you know, Netflix and that kind of thing, so you can watch filtered um, shows and, and things. But... Um, they have a show on there called The Chosen, and it's it's a TV show. It's a, you know a series, and they're actually filming the second season now. But it just gives peak a peek into Jesus' life, and it shows him laughing. And it's it's a show about Jesus. Uh, it's pretty awesome, set in the biblical times. 
And so I, I just like to imagine that. And this would have been the day before Palm Sunday, so really they're just having a, a you know, a lounging time together. They're relaxing, sharing stories, having a meal together, reclining at the table, and then Mary walks in. This would have made it super interesting, right? Mary, who brings this incredibly expensive jar of perfume. And they all would have known what it was. And, and she brought it in an alabaster jar. And it was 12 ounces. So imagine a 12-ounce Coke can is, is about the size of it. And I always found this fascinating. She broke it and poured it on Jesus. She didn't try to crack it open. She destroyed the bottle. She, she broke it. And then she poured it on Jesus. And then she takes her hair, which in their culture, her hair should not have been down anyway. It's a whole other interesting thing. But she takes her hair and she begins to wipe it off of him and off of his feet. Man, now to us, this might seem like the weirdest thing ever. In fact, I don't want somebody coming and pouring a bottle of stuff on me, okay? Just so you know, if, if that were to happen, even if it's an expensive jar of cologne or perfume, please, it's not wanted, it's not invited. Uh, it, in fact, it's unwanted. Just don't do it. Um, I, I, don't, I just don't want somebody to come, you know, because I'm going to be thinking, what, do I stink? <laughs> like, how badly do I smell right now? Do I smell so bad that you had to cover it up? I mean, I know that sometimes my feet get kind of sweaty and stinky, but... I mean, is it worth pouring this whole thing? And, and in my mind, it's a, like a, a jar of polo cologne or something. You know what I mean? Like, but that's not at all what was going on here. And then what was sure to be a party stopper? What should have just stopped the whole thing and everybody celebrated what she was doing turned into a moment of kind of nitpicky, of indignance by Judas. And, and then the others, it, in Mark it says, it brings more than just Judas. I have a feeling John didn't like Judas very much at all, <laughs> the way he writes it. And he says, what is she doing? She's so dumb. We could have used this for the poor. <laughs> he was the money keeper. Of course he wanted it. But there's a few things I want to look over that we can learn from Mary today, okay? There's going to be four things, and, and this is what I want us to look at. So the Mary showed Jesus an unparalleled love. Mary showed Jesus an amazing amount of love, and uh, this type of love is important to us, is the first thing. It's important to us. When, when Mary brought her offering, it was precious to her. Okay, understand that she gave what would have been almost a year's salary. If you saved all of your money for a year, for her, that's about what she was doing. And not only that, but you have to understand that this nard comes from the root of a plant that grows in the Himalayas in India. Now for her, she couldn't just click on Amazon and order some root from a plant that comes from the Himalayas. There was no eBay to deal with. There wasn't even a mail service that she could have placed a mail order and had it come to her. There were people who trafficked in this kind of a thing, and that's where we don't know exactly how, but we know that in that time when somebody would do this, this was an investment for them. This was like a retirement plan. 
This was their savings. This was something that would grow in value that at some point in her life, she could have sold it or portions of it for retirement. It was hard to get to, this plant in India. She wouldn't have been able to, to have some, I mean, where she's at in Bethany, how do you get from the Himalayas to Bethany? And then the ointment had to be prepared in a certain way. And it had to be transported. It was expensive. Judas placed the value at 300 denarii, which the average person at that time made about one a day. They made about one a day. In today's money, if you tried to do uh, you know, something that would be the same, it's going to be between twenty-five dollars and $30,000. So it's, it's, it's significant. And that's not counting the value of the alabaster jar that it was in. We just don't know about that. But I don't know about y'all, but there's a lot of things I could do with twenty-five dollars or $30,000. Well, there's a lot of things. I, I could pay off some bills. Teresa would probably appreciate if I finished some projects around the house. I could pay for my kids' college or a portion of it. <laughs> I could take an amazing vacation. I could invest in something. Like there's a lot of things, you know, that you can think of to do with, with that money. And you guys are probably thinking, yep, I could do something like that too. Yeah. So Mary's got this expensive ointment. It's probably her greatest treasure. It's probably the single most valuable thing that she owns. And she gave it to the Lord without hesitation, without reservation. She broke the flask. So now she has to use all of it. She poured out every drop and willingly gave her most important treasure to Christ. Isn't that awesome? Man, you know, and it was concentrated. Usually what they would do is they would take a portion of this, they would mix it with oil, and then that would be like a, a perfume for somebody. And then you could do that over and over and over and over and then sell each individual jar of perfume. So this was, this was like from concentrate. But listen, Mary was motivated by love. She wasn't seeking anything back. Just so we don't misunderstand, nobody told her to do this. She wasn't commanded to do this. She wasn't compelled by anybody to do this. This was an ex uh, a pure expression of love. How many times have we done something by our own motivation? I mean, Mary had only the motivation of Jesus. She also didn't hold anything back. She broke it and she gave the whole thing. I think of times that I have cracked the jar open and bit my finger in you know let me give you a little bit Jesus she didn't do that second thing this kind of love is is pleasant to others it's 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 pleasant um, in this section John records that the fragrance filled the whole house now I'm going to go out on a limb and say it did more than fill the whole house they weren't out on the street to know this but I'll bet you that it was overflowed into the streets around them just knowing what this is knowing how fragrant and strong it would have been it's like uh when i was thinking about this i thought one of my favorite things in the world is bread i mean do you guys like bread who doesn't like 
bread, seriously. In fact, that's why I work out, so I can eat bread. <laughs> uh, bread is awesome. And have you ever gone to a bakery that's baking all kinds of breads and the smell just hits you outside? You're like, oh, man, oh, this is about to be good, the bread. That's what I imagine was happening. Anybody walking down the street would have noticed the smell, and they would have thought, man, that smell is good. It's, it's a pleasant smell. It affected everyone that was present. It didn't just stop in the room. It permeated the house. It went everywhere. When people give themselves to Jesus, the aroma is pleasant. When people give themselves fully to Christ, it's, it's just an awesome, pleasant experience. Even more so when a church, when a congregation, when a group of people give themselves collectively to Christ, when they commit themselves to the love of Jesus, when they commit themselves to ministry outside the church, it's pleasant to Jesus. He loves that. People need to hear, need to hear the truth about God and the fragrance is what's going to bring them. People are starving for him, not for stories of him. People are starving for, for God, not just stories of God. This is why one of the when I'm talking to somebody, trying to explain the change that has happened in my life, and you've heard me say this before, I cannot make them experience it. I tell my story, I tell of what God has done, I, I, I hope they can see in my life. But for them to really get it, they've got to experience it. They just have to understand. And then it's going to happen, you know? And, and it, but it's the fragrance, the sweet-smelling fragrance that we have as followers of Jesus, the love that exudes from us, that draws people to Him. Then they experience Him. Here's the third thing. Th this kind of love is perplexing to some. Jesus made a very spiritual statement at least it would have seemed spiritual from the outset. Why didn't we sell this and give it to the poor? It's a very righteous thing, right? It's noble. It's not a bad thing in itself. In my research, I found that the way he spoke the words would have dripped with sarcasm. They would have, the people in the audience would have heard how he said a sarcastic statement. So basically, he was calling her an idiot. She's so dumb. Does she not know? What's wrong with her? Look how many people we could have helped. We've got to be careful to not let what other people say, those who, who might criticize our best by using religion, we can't allow that to get us down. Listen, if we are giving our all to God, if we are truly following Him, if we're staying in relationship with Him, then everything we say and do is going to be for Him and of Him and about Him. And then it's not going to matter what other people say because we know that we're connected. And on the flip side of that, we need to be careful because 
it's not our position to judge somebody by a religious standard that we follow. We need to approach in love and and grace and, and let God work, let the Holy Spirit work in somebody's life. There's a line we have to walk as Christians, though. If somebody is knowingly doing sin and we can see that, then it's okay for us to hold each other accountable. That's, that's biblical. But we've got to be careful putting our thoughts and beliefs. I, I was talking with somebody not too long ago who... Um, had a, a problem with alcohol and other drugs. And I remember we were talking and I invited them. And they were t- talking to their struggle and I said, man, come to church. Here's what God's done for me. Here's what he can do for you. Here's who we have at our church. They would love you. In fact, we want to love like Jesus so your life has changed, man. And he, he, was, he told me, oh, that would be great. Oh, I would love to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to come to your church. Just as soon as I get sober, I'm going to come to your church. And I said, man, don't wait until you get sober. I mean, maybe you want to sober up before you come, but, but God loves you anyway. And I don't want people to feel like they have to, here's the point, we don't want to make people feel like they have to be right before they can come to church. I want the church to be a place where people come to find God who helps them get right. Maybe there's a lot of amens online on that one. That was a, that was a, I know that's tough. But, but listen, it's, it's what, the way we should be, the way we should behave is such that people want to come here. In fact, tough conversations, the kind that everybody's having on Facebook right now, those conversations should happen in the church. In fact, the church should be the safest place for people to have a disagreement because we love each other so much, we don't want to fight. Right? We should, we should have those disagreements here. But I'm afraid they're not. What I see too often are people, f- well, I don't want to get into it, just just be careful what you post on social media, okay? Because people are watching. It's not fair to drop a bomb and walk away. Invite a conversation. Bring Jesus into it. And remember that what we're here for is the kingdom of God. Judah's statement was filled with hypocrisy. He didn't really care about the poor. John says he only wanted to pocket some money. If, it's gonna be, if we're going to get $25,000 for this, then, man, I'm, I'm going to take my 10% and we'll give the rest of the poor, you know? I, don't, I mean, I don't know, but that's what John says. His statement was, was a way for evil to spread, you know? And, and it just takes one word, one sentence, one statement, and, and evil begins to spread. If you have a problem with somebody, address that person. If you have, the Scripture talks about that. If you have an odd with somebody... Go handle it. Don't invite a fight, but go and say, hey, let's work this out, man. I love you. You love God. I love God. Let's do this. The last thing is this. This kind of love is pleasing to Christ. When everyone else was condemning her, what did Jesus say? He said, leave her alone. 
In Matthew, it says, she has done a beautiful thing for me. This is the type of love, of love that God gives us. Are we scared to give it to him? We let criticism or hypocrisy or fear get in the way. Don't be stopped by any of these. So what if you break some eggs? You know what I mean? Going back to the story at the beginning. If you break some eggs, it's okay. The question is, can we reciprocate this kind of love? Can we love God the same way? We're never going to love God as much as He loves us. It's just not going to happen, at least not on this side of heaven. But can we love God? Love is cheap in our culture, and, and, and it's hard for us to grasp a true kind of love. But I do think we need to spend every possible moment we can serving God. And how does God say that we can show Him we love Him, right? So we want to reciprocate our love. We want to give back our love to Him. God tells us. It's almost like, <laughs> just came off a of birthday season, you know, for me. It was awesome. And during my birthday season, I never hide what I want for my birthday. <laughs> I, I make sure people know. Hey, if you're going to get me a gift, I like this. To Teresa. It's just, but it, it's, it's funny, but at the same time, at least there's no surprises. And she does the same for me. She's shaking her head, but she knows she does it. She's starting now, telling me what she wants for her birthday and for Christmas. I know. So, so there's no surprises. There's no secrets. I, I know what to get her. I don't have to guess and wonder, oh, what am I going to get? God has done that for us. We don't have to say, oh, how do we love God back? I don't know how to love God. Man, I want to love him. How do I show him I love him? He tells us two ways right here. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. And that's cool. We will make our home with him. Jesus the Father. All right, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. You want to know how to love God? Obey his commands. Simple, right? But then it goes one further than that. So what are all the commands? And I start to think back to um, some of the Old Testament law, right? Jesus came, and this is something we forget sometimes in the church. The Old Testament law has been, uh, has been fulfilled. We don't live by that law anymore. We couldn't live. Now, we like to take pieces of it sometimes, but that law has been fulfilled. Jesus came. Remember, he came to fulfill the law. It's done. It, it was like a contract with God's people. When Jesus came, the contract is, is done, fulfilled. I have a new contract, Jesus says. This is, I'm condensing a whole lot of theology into short. So just trust me, but verify. Go and read up on it, okay? Old Testament, old contract has been fulfilled. I mean, thank goodness, because there's some crazy things in there. Like, you couldn't have a cheeseburger. Did you know that? Serious. In the Old Testament law, you couldn't have two products from the same animal at the same meal. Forget that. Cheese and burger go together. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no bacon, right? All right, yeah, we couldn't have bacon either. So don't take parts of the old law if you're not going to take all of it. So either take all of it or none of it. That's just, that's what Jesus said. That's what, that's what Scripture teaches. That's what Paul says in Galatians. He says, if you're going to do it, then do all of it. Or don't do it at all. 
All right, so that's the Old Testament. So Jesus comes and he says, okay, I've got a new covenant, a new contract that I want to make with you guys. That's what the whole New Testament is about. The new contract is this. Jesus says uh, in 1512, this is my commandment. Here it is. So let's go back. 1423, what does he say? If you love me, you will obey my commands. Not Old Testament. That's not what he's saying. It's not obey the Old Testament commands. What is his command then? Oh, good. Glad you asked. 1512. This is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. And? <laughs> That's it. Really? Oh, if you want to get crazy, if you want to get, and this is, this is free, this wouldn't even know this, but if you want to get crazy, go and, you remember when they first started telling all of the, um, Gentiles, most of who we are in here, how to follow Jesus. How can I have this relationship with God? And all the, the Jews, they were, we, we shouldn't do that, man. They're Gentiles. We're, this is a Jewish thing. But God said, no, it's for everybody. Remember the dream with Peter and all that? So, again, I'm condensing. I, I shouldn't do this. We'll, we'll get into some of this teaching later. But Jesus came and he said, this is, I'm, I'm doing a whole new thing. Everything is new. What I want you to do is love one another. Fast forward to when they're telling the Gentiles, James, who is the brother of Jesus, oversees, so that he, he oversees a, a convention, if you will. They all got together to have this argument. Well, what do we need to do? Do these Gentiles need to be turned into Jews? Do we need to make them go and get circumcised? Do we need to have them observe the Sabbath? Do we need to... James says, I think we need to make it easy, right? So all of that Old Testament stuff basically was cut out in this, I forget what they called it now. Like I said, I should have been more prepared. But when they had this, this time, they all gathered together, and James was overseeing, and he says, let's keep it easy for them. Let's not make them follow all the old things. Let's not make them get circumcised and stuff. We just think that it's about love. It just, it all comes full circle. So Jesus says, do you want to know how to love my father and I? Here's how you do it. Follow our commands. Well, what is your command? Love one another. But not any kind of love. It's very uncommon. How do we love each other? Like Jesus loved us. Jesus loved us with everything he had. And he gave all. Isn't it awesome? You can, you can see now how the whole thing comes full circle. How Jesus loves us so much. And we, we say, okay, I want to reciprocate this love to you, Jesus. How is it that I can reciprocate this love? How do I give you this love back? Oh, well, it's easy. Just follow my commands. Oh, good. Well, what are your commands? I'll do that. Love one another. Here's my new command. Love one another. And there's more to it. I've oversimplified. Like I said, read some of this for yourself. Jesus says, uh, they say, what's the most important of the commandments? Talking about Old Testament. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Again, we're bringing it all back to love. If you love me, obey my commands. What are your commands? Love one another. As I have loved you. So you must love one another. You see, 
I am infatuated. Is that maybe the right word? I, I'm overwhelmed. I'm, I'm super interested. I, I just love talking about, thinking about, reading about this idea of love. I think that if the church would be the place where unconditional love happened, then more people would want to be a part of the church. We just have to give our all in love. Man, we're going to close in a song, and um, I'm just going to say a prayer to close this. There's, this has really been more teaching than altar calling, but I do think that every single day we should be asking God, how can I love? Teach me to love. Teach me, Holy Spirit, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So that where we are is where people want to be. Who we know is who people want to know. But it's going to happen by the way we live our lives. So let's pray. God, my prayer for us is, all of us, is the same. Teach us to love Jesus, show us what that looks like. Fill us with your spirit so that we can love the way you do, so that every one of your fruits are evident in our lives, so that other people might want to be a part, so that we can really say we love like Jesus so lives are changed. Thank you for loving us. Help us to love you. We want to love you, Jesus. To reciprocate the love. And you've told us how to do it. Mary had the convenience of you being with her in person. She was able to give you all that she had. You're still asking that of us. But now we're to direct it to others. So help us with that. I really believe that this message this idea can be a life-changing idea for people. Teach us to love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.